Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about Grigor Mendel in the coffee table book called The Great Scientist. <coughs> and uh, we've just done <coughs> Pasteur, who uh, had a stroke and they upgraded his laboratory so he didn't have to crawl into it on his knees. And uh, he saved uh, 14 out of 19 Russians from rabies and became a, uh, a hero throughout Europe. Um, but unfortunately, he also did what I like is in terms of um, uh, a feat of um, difficult to readness. He actually um, got a dog at risk to himself, got the saliva out of the mad dog and injected it into a um, a rabbit to make a rabbit rabbit a rabbit a, a rabbit rabbit uh, and then uh, baked its spinal column and, fit, and injected that into the uh, next um, rabbit along the path so it's rather interesting okay a Grigor Mendel, a provincial 19th century Augustan monk, Grigor Mendel was perhaps an unlikely pioneer in the field of life sciences. Yes, I, th I love those words because my father was a statistician and uh, one of the things is uh, looking at how unlikely um, uh, his discoveries were overall. So that's a, an interesting thing to look. Hi, I'm back recording uh, with rather spectacular parrots around me at the moment. We're just talking about uh, Gregor Mendel and the fact that uh, statistically uh, it's not that his statistics were correct, that uh, his statistics, he selected numbers for his statistics gathering which had the greatest uh, lack of uncertainty in the significance. It's sort of a, a fairly com complex student T laws. There's a, a whole series of stuff which uh, he either lucked in the way he did experiments. There's a whole lot of luck in the way he did experiments. What he selected, um, the, uh, th the things that he selected and the way he selected his experiments were basically impossibly lucky. It's sort of like he, um, he, he was using techniques that they hadn't discovered yet. He was using, he's making correct selections of, of data and the way of doing things using that you would do, say, if you had advanced computers nowadays. So it's almost as though he was God guided. So this is uh, sort of one of the uh, sort of dark secrets of statisticians trying to work out how how he was so successful. Yet he obviously wasn't faking it. Um, it's it's. Yes, an incredible thing. Okay, Gregor Mendel was the first person to use mathematics and applied statistics to biology, and his principles of hereditary would revolutionise the cultivation of plants and the breeding of livestock in the 20th century. Would it revolutionise the cultivation, the uh, uh, selection of plants for cultivation? Mendel was born in July 1822 in Hyacinths, a remote area of the Austrian Empire that is now in the Czech Republic. Okay, the young Mendel performed well at school, showing amongst an interest in natural science. And it's interesting that this there's the um, princess, the um, the Hungarian education system. So there was a um, a uh, 
Hung Hungarian or Austrian princess who is very motivated to um, get jobs for the return soldiers. So he made the return soldiers um, all um, school teachers. So that, which unfortunately meant that the soldier, uh, this is an act which meant that the military, you're getting military trained teachers to teach your children, you get a military society come out. It was one of these consequences. I'm being attacked by a parrot. Are you okay, mate? Do you want to? I'll give you some food. Do you want some food? This is spectacular. It's got a brilliant purple head, orange beak, sort of green, light green patch, dark green. It's very colourful. You can possibly hear him. Hello, matey. What do you want to eat? Just don't leave me. I hate them when they actually hop on you. Um, and so if I had a cup of tea or some um, a biscuit here, I'd, it'd be gone. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's a bit frightening here. Um, uh, in the course of his training, oh sorry, um, uh, uh, Mendel entered the Augustan Monastery in Broden, Ravania, modern-day Bruno, Czech Republic, and began training for priesthood. He was ordained in 1847. Now, you also have to remember that um, uh, society, the military, did some war, but it was almost like a a um, uh, not a social service there, and uh, the, uh, the training. This bird's about to attack me. Uh, the uh, um, fuck shit, you're gone. Oh, he's up there. Okay, he just flew right over the top of me. Okay, um, yeah. So um, uh, it's these non-functional groups. Oh my god, there's another bird coming along. Um, the um, oh shit, it's a bit hard to do here being attacked by these birds. Um, uh, they uh, weren't necessarily involved in production, so if they didn't do too well, it wouldn't be shown up too much. So they gave a lot of attitude for these people in the priests and school teachers and things like that. They, the fact, no one was really cared if they did a bad job for a while. Okay. In the course of his training, he was also found time to teach himself some science. In 1849, he worked briefly as a substitute teacher in mathematics in the nearby secondary school. The following year, he failed his teaching exam, ironically receiving the lowest mark in his biology paper, uh, which idea would be that um, he would... It's often these papers where the actual most brilliant kid... So, so I, I've often come in to situations where there's a brilliant kid, a paper, and an angry teacher, and I go through and actually, oh, you've actually made some, to the teacher, you've made some logical mistakes in the way you've asked that question, and although you have taught everyone the answer, if they didn't pay the way, attention to the way you taught the answer, and actually worked it out logically, that's what the student would produce, that's what I would produce, and they just get angry. Okay. Um, in 1851, the abbot sent Mendel to the University of Vienna to study physics, chemistry, mathematics, zoology, and botany. So, so why would he do it? The abbot would, the Vienna would say, we need so many people. You've got people that just have excess of money flowing in. Um, three years later, he returned to Brunn and taught natural science at a local high school. He continued teaching until 1868 when he was elected abbot of the monastery. He never did pass his teaching exam which is rather interesting. Um, 
there and so this is yet another another teacher so I, I, I just have to go through there's uh, uh, Boyle um, Dalton teachers Newton was trained in teaching yeah, Newton uh, Isaac Newton gave lectures to empty lecture theatres because no one was interested in the way he taught. It's quite interesting that, that this teaching process is your interaction with research knowledge, general knowledge, bring it all together and trying to construct it. Um, a fascinating for plants. The research uh, that would establish Mendel's place in scientific history Oh God! Began in a small monastery garden in Broaden in, in 1856. So again, the monasteries um, uh, were uh, basically almost fortified and had gardens. The reason they had gardens is because they were sieged, and the uh, and what would happen? Obviously, the countryside around would be um, burnt by your vandals and your Visigoths and stuff like that. They received into their monasteries and. Part of the siege mentality is that you'd have, oh God, Father, you, you would have um, uh, little gardens. Okay. Um, Mendel had always loved nature, an interest aroused by his experience on his father's orchard and farm. He was fascinated by plants and often wondered why and how they obtained atypical characteristics. The biologist Lamarck had suggested the plants were influenced by the environment. Mendel wanted to test out the theory. During one of his regular walks around the monastery garden, he found an atypical variety of an ornamental plant. He would plant it next to a typical variety and study their offspring. Their offspring retained the essential traits of the parents, which meant they were not influenced by the environment. The simple test set Mendel on a path that would lead to the discovery of the laws of hereditary. Mendel was helped in his research by the scholarly atmosphere that prevailed at the monastery and at the high school where he worked, the monastery abbot. Was enthusiastic about uh, as enthusiastic and a botanist, uh, botanist and several of Mendel's work colleagues. Isn't that beautiful? That's what you need. You, know, you, you don't need sort of marine researchers who are interested in science. In 1862, a few of them founded the Natural Science Society. The Mendel played an active role in the society meetings. Furthermore, the libraries of the monastery and school contain many works of science, especially his favourite subjects of agriculture, horticulture and bot botany. And so too in Glenbrook uh, we have formed the Glenbrook Advanced Concept Institute and we're, we're, chartering, uh, we're uh, chartering by decree uh, the Global Data Equity Authority uh, which has certain roles to do certain things. Garden Peas Emboldened by his initial research, Mendel embarked on a long and rigorous study of experiments on garden peas. Imagine, well, oh, that plant, oh, that's that different. I'm emboldened by that. Um, first, he spent two years preparing his specimens, seven varieties of peas, to make sure they, they bred true. Each one was bred from a particular characteristic, such as tallness or shortness, or difference in seed colour or pod shape position of flowers and stem. Then, helped by two assistants, he repeatedly crossbred these varieties. 30,000 pea plants in all. Mendel's experiments on pea took a total of seven years. They took so long because, mainly because of his determination to be accurate as possible in his work. And also that peas take a little while to grow. 
he took great pains to avoid accidental cross-fertilization and meticulously noted down every tiny variation in the plant's offspring. Mendel was not the first to experiment with plants in order to understand the nature of inheritance. However, his experiments differed from previous research in two important respects. Firstly, instead of looking for characteristics of the whole plant, Mendel focused on a single, clearly visible distinguishable trait, such as round versus wrinkle seeds, purple versus white flowers. Secondly, he made precise counts of the number of plants bearing each trait. This quantitative data allowed to see statistical patterns and ratios that eluded his predecessors. Mendel observed that the first generation of hybrids crossbred plants usually showed traits of one parent. For example, the crossing of a yellow seed plant with a green seed one gave rise to yellow seeds, and the crossing of tall stem plants with short stem plants gave rise to tall stem plants. Mendel therefore was able to conclude that certain traits such as yellow seeds, tallness and stem were dominant, and other traits and uh, shortness were recessive. At first it appeared the dominant traits uh, consumed a destroyed recessive trait, but Mendel knew that this could not be the case when he observed the second generation of hybrids exhibited by the dominant and recessive traits of their grandparents. For the, and which is rather interesting in terms of that when you have, I suppose, sex, sex with someone, uh, it's the mixture of your mum and dad with their mum and dad. It's pretty amazing. Um, okay. Um, first of all, uh, sorry, the hybrids exhibited both dominant and recessive traits of their grandparents. Furthermore, uh, and this is where mental sexual accounting really helped, the traits re uh, reappeared in consistent proportions in each experiment. About three quarters of the second generation plants showed the dominant trait, one quarter of the recessive trait. Now this is uh, true, like he picked only peas and, and the number he picked was, was correct. And other plants don't show this this dominant. Uh, so, so a lot of plants have the uh, genotype or phen the phenotype or genotype. I've got to remember all that. Um, it's much more complex. So he was just very lucky. From this, Mendel concludes that each plant's parent carries uh, a pair of determining factors of each trait. In other words, it carries a pair of traits um, for the height of the stem, short and tall, seed colour yellow and green and so on. Well, in fact, some plants have five sets of genes. Was, we've got two, um, so it's much more complicated. He realises this uh, pair of factors are passed on to the offspring during reproduction, and one trait in a pair can sometimes be dominate the other. What Mendel called factors, we are now know are called genes, although the term was not coined until 1909. Mendel reduced, deduced that these factors do not blend or mix with each other. The offsprings of the yellow seed and green seed plants don't produce a yellowy green seed but remain pure and uncontaminated. And when the hybrid plants forms its reproductive cells or gametes, the genes segregate and pass into different gametes. Thus, an offspring inherits the parents of either one trait or another, but not both. However, with eye colours, you get a fairly uniform blend of eye colours. You get the blue and the black, the blue and brown, but from the hazel across, there's a lot of traits. Now, this is known as Mendel's first law, the principle of segregation. By applying the law across several generations, Mendel was able to predict accurately the number of springs exhibiting each trait. He also tried to breeding um, crossbreeding bee plants uh, that differed in two or more traits. He found the traits repeated 
reappeared in every possible combination in their offspring. Wrinkled seeds and fat pods, smooth seeds and thin pods, and so on. The segregation of pod shape occurred independently of the segregation of seed surface. The traits combined with each other at random. This is known as Mendel's second law, the principle of interdependent assortment, which obviously doesn't work. In fact, they all, all, all these laws are only approximate laws, so I think in one key genetic thing, I think it's, you, it's got a, a 49 rather than 50-50%. Publishing his findings. He confirmed the biological principles by conducting similar experiments on flowers, corn and other plants. Then, eight years after he had first embarked on his research, Mendel decided he was ready to share his findings with the scientific community. He presented the results of his experiments in two papers in the meeting <coughs> of the Natural Science Society in Braun in February and March um, 1865. He received a polite hearing from the 40 or so audience. Even though he founded the society, yet no one appeared to acknowledge his discoveries broke new ground. Because, typically, of most things, uh, majority, you've got to understand that when you discover things, the rest of the world hasn't discovered it for a very good set of reasons. Um, uh, methods were simply too unusual to be appreciated. No one before had attempted to use mathematics and statistics as a means of understanding and predicting biological processes. Mendel's was also a shy character, more at home at potting shed than in the lecture hall, and may not have delivered the paper with the necessary conviction. This is the... Uh, complete wank if you do. The Society publishes Mendel's articles, experiments on plant hybrids in 1866. It was sent out to all major libraries in Europe and America. Despite reaching a wider audience, Mendel's work had little or no impact. In an effort to gain recognition for his theory, Mendel asked for a fellow monk to send out reprints of the paper to 40 eminent botanists and scientists with an interest in plant hybrids. Of the 40, only one showed real interest. It was the Swiss botanist Carl Wilhelm von Nagel, von Nagel a leading authority in the field, who was at that time teaching at the University of Munich. It was clear from their subsequent correspondence that Nagel neither did not properly read the underpaper, or at least failed to appreciate its significance. He told Mendel that his work was incomplete, despite the fact that Mendel had studied over 300 crossbred strains and a total of 30,000 uh, 30, plants. He urged him to continue his experiment. Nagel also offered him uh, some very for advice. He suggested Mendel try breeding hawkweed, a plant fundamentally unsuited for hereditary. Hawkweed belongs to the family of plants that breed asexually. The offspring is formed uh, from an unfertilized egg. Therefore, any experiments with crossbreeding hawkweed were bound to fail, since the genes of the offspring come from just one parent. <coughs> Mendel did not know this, nor did anyone else at the time, so he went ahead to study hawkweed and published a paper on his unsuccessful experiments in 1869. Mendel continued his investigation in botany and other subjects uh, that interested him, including the study of bees, mice, sunspots, until his death in 1884. However, his appointment at Abbott in 1868, he was no longer able to devote as much time to science. His task of running a monastery took a great deal of his energies. It was also likely he had been disheartened by the failure of the hawkweed experiments and lack of general recognition of his achievements. Nevertheless, perhaps Mendel did feel that this time would be one day would come, even if he did not live to see it. Did he? I don't know why we'd say it. In 1883, just months before his death, he commented, quote, My scientific studies have afforded me great gratification. 
and I'm convinced it will be not long before the whole world acknowledges the results of my work. Posthumous recognition. Mendel's prediction came true in 1900. In that year, three European biologists, Karl Eric Korrens, Ernst Cheschmack von Schneegels, how am I supposed to, to spell this word? Say this word. S-Y-S, Sis, Sisig, Sisig, uh, double E, double G, and Hugo de V. Vries, each working independently, obtained results that showed how plants' heredity was governed by a set of basic laws. Searching back through the scientific records, they discovered the half-forgotten monk scientist had already discovered these laws and published the results 34 years previously. At last, Mendel's work was recognised. In the early years of the 20th century, Mendel's law were fully tested and confirmed, were found to, to um, have general application not just in the world of plants, but all, uh, to all organisms, including humans. Ergo, within 40 or 32 years, you had concentration camps. Scientists continued to use the statistical method pioneered by Mendel to explore the complex world of genetic transmission. Eventually, this led them to the understanding of genetics and molecular level, including the discovery of DNA and RNA molecules that constitute genetic materials in all living things. Uh, yeah, you can use RNA for, for um, say, like the um, COVID virus as an RNA one, but DNA is the major one. The science of genetics has transformed all our lives. Today, scientists have mapped the human genome. <laughs> I'm just uncomfortable saying scientists have done it. It's so, uh, like, it really is. It's like engineers built the Sydney Harbour Bridge, or we've built the civilization based on mathematics. It's sort of just mm. cloned animals, grown GM foods, and have potential to banish inherited diseases. Banish, out you go. Where are you? What's outside the city limits? It's extraordinary that this great revolution in human knowledge was begun by a monk growing peas in a monastery garden. The most valuable resources was his patience, his care and accuracy. And I think that's the most balanced um, uh, thing I've read so far. Thanks a lot for listening. another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.